Welcome to the TAGT podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT podcast. This podcast was recorded at the 2023 TAGT Gifted Plus Equity Conference. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. Special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzulilearning.com. Today, we're chatting with Dr. Elizabeth Severance. Dr. Severance, or Dr. Sev, is the Director of Advanced Academics, which includes GT, Advanced Courses, AP, IB, AVID, and their program Gear Up in Austin ISD. She has worked at the campus, district, and state level supporting college readiness and advanced academics. She's the project director on a new Javits grant, which will help improve representation in the GT population, as well as enhance our and improve service options. Dr. Sev, welcome. Well, thank you so much. Hello. Good morning. So, so glad you're here. You're presenting. We're at the TAGT Gift Dead Plus Equity Conference. Are you having a good time so far? Yes, I can't, I can't complain. Yeah, very cool. It's cool to have Austin ISD represented. And uh, I think a lot of people, maybe as a starting point here, are probably looking at places like Austin ISD, which is not a small district. We are not. And just learning what does GT look like there compared to uh, what their their experience is. So can you give us maybe a, an elevator speech on uh, GT there at Austin ISD? Sure. So um, in Austin ISD, we have uh, different services at the elementary and secondary level. So our district-wide service for elementary is cluster grouping. And so that means that students who are identified as gifted and talented are clustered in groups of four to six with a teacher who completes annual GT training. Um, And so that's the main service for K through five. And then we have some elementary schools with sixth grades. That would be the same service for those sixth graders. And then at our secondary level, um, our service is advanced courses in the area of identification. So we do identify students in um, four core areas. So they can be identified as gifted in math, science, ELA, or social studies. So we have STEM, we sort of umbrella term those Mm -hmm. to STEM and humanities. So at that secondary level, students should be taking an advanced course in the area they're identified. Um, and to better serve students, we have made changes so that if they're identified as GT in math, they can take an advanced science class. So as long as they're taking an advanced class within that STEM or humanities umbrella, we know they're being served, especially as some students, as they get older and um, in high school, they might not be taking all AP courses, so they might take a regular um, math course, but an AP science course. We want to make sure we're still providing services for them without overwhelming them. Very cool. And has your history been all at Austin ISD? Is that kind of your home and you know that well, or do you bring other experience from uh, GT services that maybe impact what you're doing in Austin ISD? Um, so it has not been my home. I actually spent um, about 10 years at a district um, outside of San Antonio and Somerset, um, really focused on college access and college advising. And mm. so um, I moved, I spent a year at TEA um, working on as a project director for their state gear up grant. Um, and when I came to Austin ISD, I was actually the project director for the gear up grant which stands for Gaining Early Awareness and Readiness for Undergraduate Programs. Very cool. Um, And so part of my passion is the college access and enrollment and success. So who has access to succeed beyond high school? And so um, this advanced academics position 
um, and gifted and talented as I look at who we're missing in college enrollment, who we're missing in um, being successful in higher ed. It's the same students we're missing in identification in, in gifted mm -hmm. and talented. And so how can we sort of bring that, how can we better identify students at a younger age so we set them up on a path to be more successful? Man, now I want to know more about gear up because yeah. I, I don't have a frame of reference for that and maybe for our audience what what is that I guess you kind of gave us yeah. a little bit of a touch place there so uh so gear up is a federal grant uh, from the department of ed it's a seven-year grant and what's great about gear up is that it is cohort based so it means that it serves every student in a grade level um, and so in order to be a gear up school or to be eligible to apply or to to receive the gear up grant, your school has to be 50% or more for reduced price lunch. So when um, gear up came to Austin ISD, we started with um, sixth graders, because um, it is again a seven year grant. So we start with sixth graders and we were at 11 of our 18 middle schools and it follows the cohort, it's the class of 2024 in Austin. And so it provides um, facilitators on campus who provide extra either wraparound services like tutoring, mentoring, um, college field trips, co career job site visits. So a lot of the best practices in college and career readiness just sort of very geared towards that one cohort. Um, and so now we are about to enter into the seventh year of the Gear Up grant, and there'll be seniors next year, which is really wow. exciting. Um, I'm really fortunate to have an amazing, um, when I turned, uh, when I took this position as the director of advanced academics, I was really fortunate to hire an amazing um, former gear up facilitator to become the project director. And so she oversees the grant that now, um, and she's done amazing things with it. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a pretty effective program. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. How would, how would you say it's received, you know, because I mean, that's one of the things within GT too, is that GT is this to some people and to some communities and depending on their experience, not know what that is. So if you if you're going to you know uh, a middle school with gear up or your t kids are entering into that, how is that seen and and kind of rolled with? Is it kind of something people are like? Oh man, that's that's really awesome. It is. It's really generally positive um, because it is cohort based. It really the students in that grade level benefit a lot. And so one of the things we're also trying to leverage is how do we have sustainability? So, you know, how do, if it's for the class of 2024, how do we make sure the students that are coming behind them continue to benefit? So how do we change some of those systems or structures? And I think some of those things are, are the same with gifted and talented. So things that we are leveraging for uh, our GT and high ability students, how do we also make sure that other students are benefiting from those mm. strategies, the professional learning, that it's not just this isolated uh, silo. Yeah, so it's a way to permeate other mm -hmm. uh, branches, which is, even though there's my, I'm sure there's a lot of similar pedagogical premises in both, so yeah. very cool. So what sparked this interest in you to uh, be passionate about preparing kids, especially as they're going beyond, and, and I don't know, where, do, where does that come from? Um, so actually, when I was in college, I went to a small uh, undergrad college in Minnesota, and I worked for an organization at the time, it was called Admission Possible, but now it's called College Possible. Um, and so as a junior in college, I taught high school juniors after school about the college process, and it was mostly first-generation students. Um, in that population, it was um, mostly Hmong students, and we also had a lot of um, African refugees that I oh, worked wow. with. And so I had 10 students, um, and I would teach them twice a week after school, creating like lesson plans to look through the processes of 
you know, some of the things that if you're a first generation college student, you might not have experience at home to walk you through. So thinking about what kind of careers are out there, what kind of colleges are out there, what kind of opportunities might exist. This is how you practice, um, this is how you complete an application. Here's some community service so we can build up your resume. Um, we did ACT prep where, you know, we taught them ACT prep so that they would be better prepared to take the ACT. Um, went on, took them on college visits. Um, and so in that role, when I was, so I was still in college, but I was already very um, passionate about trying to improve education. And so when I was in college, I wanted to do education reform as sort of this big umbrella um, topic. Yeah. Um, and so in working for the nonprofit, I really saw college access as sort of the culmination of inequity of who gets to go on to mm. higher ed. So, you know, all the all those gaps in opportunity throughout, which used to be referred to as the achievement gap, but really an opportunity gap, mm. thinking about how do we improve access to higher education for students. And so that uh, sort of became a passion. I worked um, when I was in Somerset, was started as an AmeriCorps member, establishing a GO Center, basically a college center, um, and got to be college advisor and then ultimately a gear up coordinator at that campus, uh, but for about 10 years. And so one of the things that was really one of my favorite parts was when I would get to see siblings. And so it would be when the older sibling would come and be like, this is Miss Set. You better, you better go visit her. This is who <laughs> you need to talk to. She's going to help you. And so it was really um, also a family aspect. So by being mm. there and having worked with students for so long, the families, by the time we got to younger siblings, the parents trusted me. They knew what we were doing. And so, you know, it's kind of a long game, but it's yeah. really rewarding as well. Yeah, so that that's all captured you and kind of kept you mm -hmm. going down this road of providing those opportunities and, and, and building relationships. And yeah, I'm sure that prepared you well to be director of advanced academics. I think so. I think it gives a different, um, some different kind of perspectives and really working in like programming and how to really leverage those connections across and mm -hmm. how do we integrate. So, you know, how do we get people to do like one more thing without them making it feel like it's one more thing of like, oh, these are really just best practices. This isn't something extra that you have to do. Right. Um, and this benefits these students, but also these students, mm -hmm. everyone benefits from these um, strategies and approaches. So it might be connected to that, but as a director of advanced academics, which includes so much, you know, what are some of the, the biggest struggles that you have in terms of either maybe motivating those communities or working with educators? What are some of those things, uh, and, and not trying to be negative here, but what are some of those things that you kind of have to invest your time and effort in to try to make a difference? Um, I think one of the things is that teachers are so overworked and there's so much on the plate of all educators, from principals to assistant principals to counselors. And so as we think about um, you know, some of our gifted and talented compliance pieces, it's really trying to reframe some of our compliance as this is what's best for kids. It's not just that we have to do this because the TEA state plan says we have to do this, but if your teachers complete all their training, that will benefit all our GT students and also all of our students to be to get the differentiated support that they need to be successful. And so a lot of times it's really trying to rethink how we talk to them about what we do so that it's not just, um, we're, again, we do have boxes or we do have to review and make sure we're following all the guidelines, but mm -hmm. also how do we leverage that to 
really transform education as opposed to just saying we have to do this, this, and this. Um, and then I think it, it's also um, time with other people. And so I think it's, we've, um, we really have to work across departments a lot more. So we are, um, in some of our reorgs, we have moved. So I, the, my director role is also a director with multilingual education. And so over the last two years, we've worked a lot more, or I've worked a lot more closely with multilingual. Mm -hmm. And so as we better learn about our emergent bilingual students and how do we better identify them for gifted and talented services, and then also, how do we just bring all the strategies and practices together? Because those sheltered instruction and practices for emergent bilingual students also benefit our gifted and talented right. students. And so I, I think we, at central office especially, it's also a lot more about how do we reach across departments so that we're not working in isolation, so that you know we're starting to have more collaboration with the 504 department. So you know, if you're going to have 504 training, how can we embed some more training so that it's not, oh, I'm a 504 coordinator, but also the GT advocate, and also the assistant principal, and also the telpass coordinator. There are so many things that we have put on educators, and so we're also looking at how do we make things easier for them while also meeting all the state requirements, right? So we can't, there are some things we can't stop doing, but how can we either support them in doing it or what can we help take off their plate or how do we, again, systematize it so that it's not this extra thing, but it's embedded mm. in all these other things that they're doing anyways. Yeah, you're tapping into there of something that I think is reality, probably to a lot of our listeners if they're educators in GT, is that whether you're in a big district uh, where you're serving GT specifically, or maybe you're in a small district where GT is one thing on the plate for everything. And even in big districts, like mm -hmm. you're saying, we have people who are in charge of GT who are probably in charge of several departments. So plugging GT in and making it relevant and valuable and connecting it to stuff, I do feel like is a huge part of being a leader in the GT community. Uh, because otherwise we have these silos. And I also find that being in the silos makes it more difficult for people to understand why we do what we do. So I'm sure you have to work pretty hard on building relationships. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, I think that goes back to also, you know, one of the things we've been trying to also talk about is that gifted and talented is a service. It's not necessarily just a program. It is a meeting an academic need. And so, you know, as we think about all the academic needs of students, gifted and talented is just one other academic need. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it is also what do students need and how do we make sure they get what they need? So regardless of identifications, making sure we're also thinking about how are we continuing to move all students to have academic growth? How are we all working together? Because, um, you know, we can learn so much from other departments as well. We can learn from 504 and special ed and dyslexia and multilingual of making sure that we're all moving in the same direction to support students because um, every student deserves to have that academic growth regardless of their identification or label. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think if we treat GT as something that it's its own department in its own world, people will miss, especially kids who fit multiple departments, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That's probably not mm -hmm. the right way to say it, but you know what I mean? What about our multilingual GT kid? What right. about our special education GT twice exceptional kid? If we can't work with the other people in the 
uh, district to, you know, to serve those kids, they might get missed. Well, and I think that's a great point, too, because one of the things we've, we've even just said recently in a meeting with our 504 department, you know, if we can model for campuses how we at the district are working together, 504 mm-hmm. and GT, then it helps the campuses see, oh, this is how 504 and GT work together. These aren't separate students. Right. They're, they're, they're all our students. Um, we... For our students receiving special education services, we always want to emphasize they're all our students. They're all general education students first, regardless of what other needs they have. And so how do we make sure we're thinking of all our students? And we've really been trying to do more about tier one instruction. I know there was a session yesterday, but really focusing on how are we thinking about the first tier one instruction? So how not just, oh, they already mastered it. Now I will extend it. But when you teach just the first time, how are you thinking about how you're going to differentiate for all the different learners that are in your room? And I, and I think that's also teacher's superpower, that they can have, you know, 25, 30 kids, and they can have four to five different levels that they need to teach at. And, you know, it's how do we provide it and services and support to those teachers to make it easier and to make it more seamless so it's not, again, like teachers are doing one more thing in order to support all their students. Right. Man, okay, so there's so many elements of what you do that I think are interesting that other people can connect with. And, and uh, let me ask you about grant work. Okay. And because I do feel like finding those opportunities, working with those opportunities, and then also seeing the fruits of that and what you're doing right now with the, the gear up being a grant as well, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So any encouragement of other educators or coordinators that are out there that are maybe looking at that of like, What's some advice or tips you would recommend if doing that kind of work, sustaining that kind of work, uh, maybe someone who's never even thought about it before? What, what, what words of advice do you have? Um, well, one would be to not be afraid. So, you know, we recently received a Javits grant, as you mentioned, and part of it um, came from my GT coordinator who came over and was like, oh, Sev, I saw this thing in the newsletter. We should apply for it. And, you know, if she hadn't brought it to my attention, I might have completely missed it. Mm-hmm. And so part of it was also being like, okay, well, this is a lot of extra work because, you know, we do, we are very fortunate at Austin ISD to have an amazing Office of Innovation and Development who helps write grants and helps submit federal grants. Um, but their bandwidth was very limited. So they were like, well, if you guys can, like, write the grant, we'll help you. And so, you know, it's all of a sudden you're, you have a whole, like, second job in addition to your regular job, you know, looking, working over spring break, reading articles, reading research. But the other thing was, um, I will admit um, that I did not really believe we were going to get the grant. There was really, I was like 5% sure, like sure, we're going (laughs) to 5%. But what was really great and valuable about the process was in the process of writing this grant, we were basically creating a strategic plan for what we wanted to do. We were writing out the budget. This is what we would need. This is how we would do it. So really part of the reason we were doing it, at least in my mind, was if we don't get this grant, then I take this to leadership to say, hey, if you give us money or we reallocate some of our budget, here's all the things we can do and you would get. Um, So when we did receive the grant, um, it was, I was very shocked. I like to give uh, my uh, mentor leader, coordinator, Debbie Torres, the credit. She created an amazing acronym for it. And I still think that the acronym is what pushed us over the edge. But the grant was also, um, in a certain sense, very simple. It was, we're going to extend, we're going to create curriculum extensions. We are going to provide a universal screener. We are going to do more family outreach. And we're going to improve professional learning. Like, those are very 
those are the bare bones things, but it was just also in that simplicity, that's also what we needed. And so we were able to frame out over the next five years what we would be doing to improve. Um, and I think that if you follow grant guidelines, it tells you exactly how to do it. So at a certain mm. point, like you, they'll tell you the scoring. So you just have to write to what you're scoring. And, you know, it is um, – you might not get it your first time, so it's also don't be discouraged about it. I know that the Gear Up grant that the district received, I was not part of writing that grant, but I do know that it was um, a second attempt on a previous grant application that was not received. So sometimes you also get feedback when you write the grant. So you'll get feedback from the Department of Ed that you can then use either in the next <coughs> grant application or in any other um, application. And I think part of it is really thinking about what funding sources are out there and being mm -hmm. um, strategic. And again, when you're writing those grants, you're also writing out your strategic plan. You're thinking about what you want to do. Um, and so sometimes just the practice of getting to brainstorm without some of the other, like, possibly budget limitations can help you be clear about what you want to do. Uh, we we're also very fortunate that we got the grant because we were starting to do some of the things that we had put in the grant. But now we actually have more people that can help us accomplish those goals. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, you know, grant writing and just reaching out in those regards, I think that's a part of GT leadership that doesn't, it's not always in the job description, but those are the opportunities that are possible and there are opportunities out there. And I just don't know if people always see that or mm -hmm. experience that. So thank you for that. I think that's very encouraging and helpful. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you're presenting on, uh, trying to capture data from TEA and federal databases to calculate district level GT enrollment patterns. What does that mean? Well, so part of it is that, um, Right now, in publicly available information, you can get some data on your GT population. You can get, like, the OCR, Office of Civil Rights. You can get data on um, who's identified as GT and as well as ethnicity. Um, the challenge with OCR is that it's about five years old. So the most recent data, I think, is 2017, 2018. Um, and so you, if you're talking to your district leadership or you're talking to families, it's really hard to have five-year-old data, especially given that we've recently had a global pandemic that I think yeah. is also just, I feel like now it's like, oh, we can't even look at data before 2020 because <laughs> things are just so different now. Um, but TEA also has some publicly available information, but it doesn't break it down um, by ethnicity. And so sometimes as we're really thinking about um, who are we missing in our gifted and talented population, part of our presentation was um, if you are in your district, how will you get this data? Because you can't always get real-time data from through like TEA's PEMS reports. So who can you talk to at your district to get your ethnicity, to get the students experiencing poverty and how many of those students are identified as GT so that you can really think about which groups you're missing um, so that you can then better uh, serve them or modify what your, your outreach strategy so that you can target better. Yeah. I know when we break down data like that, it's important to always remember that things are changing. And I feel like that's part of, especially in public education, what's happening right now, you got to be on top of there's kids moving all over the place, you know, so you're, you're 12% identified in this population last year, 
may have a different total going into next year. So I guess y'all are definitely breaking down that data in Austin ISD. Yes, we really try to disaggregate all our data, and that's also that's from our school board all the way down. So our school board has very high expectations and always asks for disaggregated data, and I think at a certain point that's also one of our strengths. Um, you know, our, the speaker yesterday shared an Ida B. Wells quote about shining a light of truth on things. And so mm. at a certain point, if we look at just our district data, it can, it can look really good. And then if you start disaggregating it, it can unmask differences um, between different populations. And so we have to be honest with ourselves on where we are so that we can then improve and make sure that all students are um, being successful. I'm just interested in that, too, of like uh, one thing that I'm learning in our role in our district is that relationship you have with leadership above and whether that's the school board or superintendent or that, you know, the, the leadership cabinet um, in preparing things like data in particular for that. Mm -hmm. Is that a unique dynamic in Austin ISD? Is that a, a supportive group, I guess? I don't know. How, how does that go for someone who's kind of looking at these positions saying, hey, I could do that one day. I don't know. Again, that's another one of those things I don't think people think about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So how is that for you? Um, I think our board has been really supportive. We are um, constantly working on how we can leverage um, collaborations across departments. And so there are some re reorganization and really trying to we have an office of academics and an office of school leaderships and how can we better get school leadership and academics to work together to better support campuses and students. Um, and so I think the board is really supportive of how to always get better. Um, and so again, the data piece, um, we're working on how to get better data, how to make sure that everybody has access to the data that they need. Because mm -hmm. I think that's the other can be um, frustrating to be like, okay, I know the data is in the system. How do I get the data out of the system? And so it's, right. again, relationship building with um, our data management and technology and mm -hmm. how to make sure um, we're all calling the same thing the same thing so that everyone is clear with what this if you're in the system and you see this label, that's what this means. You know, those mm -hmm. those kinds of things to make sure we're all calling a spade a spade, you could say. You know, that's fascinating, too. This has come up a few times in this conference of, like, just in the state of Texas, and I'm sure with our listeners, there's wide varieties of access to, and this may have been the case with you in Somerset, a wide variety of what districts provide as access to that data and who's managing that. We've got GT specialists and coordinators who've got to do all of that on their own in a mm -hmm. small district if they're even a GT coordinator in the first place. And then I know in bigger districts, like in mine, we have systems, we have departments wrapped around that. So I don't know if you've had a, a different experience based off of your districts or what that's like or, yeah. Um, I will say moving to Austin ISD, um, it was eye-opening to, because it's such a it was such a larger district than my previous district that I had been in, that there were data departments, that there was... Um, planning and evaluation. We used to have a Department of Research and Evaluation. And so really thinking about all these resources that were helping programs get better mm -hmm. um, and initiatives, and also that there were people that were sort of assigned to monitor, uh, make sure those things, all those grant objectives were being met, and so that we could make sure we are also continuously improving. And so that continuous improvement cycle um, is also helpful to know that it's not just people within the program itself, but there's other departments working to support that work. Mm -hmm. and, and kind of thinking too, you brought this up earlier, being talking about different departments. So you were the director of advanced academics and you talked about having an innovation department. Mm -hmm. You know, are there things that are like really kind of under your 
kingdoms, so to speak, that are in different places and that sort of dynamic in the district of like, because I feel like that's something I have to go through mm -hmm. of like, there's things that I feel like that are what I think are under my purview, but are actually those other people over there, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm really fortunate we have, um, so one thing that usually comes up because in some districts, advanced academics also might include on-ramps or early college high mm -hmm. schools or dual credit. And we have a department of early college programs. And so we have an executive director of early college high schools and P-TECH. And so while she's not my boss or supervisor, mm -hmm. we work very closely together. Um, and we always talk about how CCMR, college career military readiness, doesn't really just live in one department. It's right. not just CTE. It's not just early college high school. It's not just AP. It's also curriculum. It's also family outreach. It's So it's also... Um, We've also been really fortunate. We've done some, some of my favorite work over the past year is our Office of Innovation and Development has brought together a lot of those teams to do strategic planning for college and career readiness. And so how do we bring all these different departments together? And so sometimes the Office of Innovation and Development or OID is able to kind of be a facilitator because you know they can bring all these people together because as we create the strategic plan, they also have a better idea of what we're wanting to do so they can make sure that they're finding the funding to support what we want to do mm. as opposed to finding money and then figuring out how we will integrate that into. But really, okay, where do we want to go? And like we're going to use that to drive our how we're going to get funding so we're supporting our work moving forward instead of the other way around. Wow. So when it comes to something like CCMR that might have a lot of uh, different people in different places working towards it. It's almost like you're uh, leveraging that to get everyone in the room, make a strategic plan, probably to continue to do the work that you were doing anyways, Yes. but doing it in collaboration, which could lead to more financial opportunities, could lead to maybe more people doing the work that you're trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah. And it really also is just more people being on the same page, having the same message. And also the more so that's been one way that we've had more collaboration, and that's where we've some we've been able to kind of connect. We have um, we have a lot of refugee families in Austin ISD, and so we have an international welcoming or international welcome center. And so the um, the coordinator from the international welcome center has come and been part of this planning as well. So it's again also just building those cross department relationships because they're all our students, and so we have to find ways to work together. Um, because also, the more we work together, you know, it's that work uh, smarter, not just harder. Mm -hmm. So how do we leverage each other's strengths? That's awesome. I love having other directors and coordinators who are in charge of this or in charge of a lot. But, you know, GT being a part of that, because I think it paints a picture for what this role is in, in the state. And I do think it looks very different district to district. Yet, uh, going back to something you said earlier, we're all trying to to meet the needs of kids. We're all mm -hmm. trying to use this uh, to serve kids well. And so really appreciate you sharing all that. Uh, we're not done yet, though. Oh, okay. I've okay. got my fast five questions to learn more okay. about you. I'm ready. Uh, sometimes this panics people and okay. gets them worried. But we just want to know a little bit more about you, okay? Okay. Uh, just what your first knee-jerk response to this, if your closest friends had to describe your number one strength, what would it be? Uh, joy. So I am oh. really um, try to be joyful and in all that we do. I think that it is hard to, um, it can be overwhelming, it can get frustrating, but it's really like, how do we bring joy back into it? How do we bring joy? Um, also, my daughter's name is Joy. That might be go. part of where it is. It's my favorite word. 
But I, um, when she was in pre-K last year, she was so excited every time the bus would come up, like she would like jump up and down that the bus was there. And so I think about her joy as she went to school. And I really think that as educators, I want every kid to feel that excited about going to school every year from pre-K all the way to our senior babies also like how do we keep that joy alive for students how do we keep that joy alive for teachers so that they want to keep coming back Um, and so really trying to emphasize that we also it's a privilege to get to do this work and how do we bring joy back into it that strikes me big time because especially with the events of the past three or four years Mm -hmm. um, this profession is so difficult and for so many it's so hard to have that joy uh so thank you for being an encouragement that's really cool all right speaking of joy i think of i get joyful when i think of cartoons okay if you had to describe yourself as a cartoon character who would it be Okay, I have to I have to confess that you presented that this might be a question that it comes up. So I did I did think about it beforehand. Uh-huh. That's great. Um, and I was trying to think of cartoon characters, and I think when I was thinking about the question, it was how would I describe myself as yes. a cartoon character, maybe? Um, and so my children love Dinosaur Train, which if you have not watched <laughs> Dinosaur Train, it is an amazing uh, cartoon about dinosaurs. They travel to different time periods. But on the train, there's a conductor who is a troodon, which was the smartest dinosaur, one of the things I learned. Hmm. But uh, the conductor, Mr. Conductor, um, I would love to be Mr. Conductor because people love to see him. He is um, really knowledgeable, loves to share information, and he takes people to places and then lets them go discover things on their own. So, you know, the the conductor will give them background information about the dinosaur they're going to go visit. He doesn't necessarily go with them to... Like, watch all the things. He's like, okay, now I've given you information. Now go enjoy. And then mm-hmm. they always come back, and they get to tell him about all the things. So I think it'd be the Mr. Conductor. Mr. Conductor from Dinosaur Train. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'll never watch it the same way again. This is great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, question number three. You're doing great. Okay. What's one strategy you wish you used in your first few years of teaching that you now know? It's like, man, if I could go back, like Uncle Rico, if I could just go back. So um, a lot of the AVID strategies, so I'm really fortunate in coming to Austin, learned more about AVID. I didn't have AVID in my previous district. Um, And AVID instructional strategies of writing, inquiry, collaboration, organization, and reading, really just best practices. But I think back about all the ways that, you know, All the times I was like, oh, I could have invented an AVID strategy. Like, I could have gotten them to start. I could have asked them questions instead of just talked at them or just how to embed more inquiry into what I was Mm. teaching so that they learn, um, that they get to do the learning. And it's not just me doing all of the work for them. Right. Very cool. Question four. Who is one person you cannot imagine being without in your educational journey? I only have to one person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everyone else. No good. Just one. So I'm I, kidding. I, okay. You could list several. It's fine. Okay, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to list several because I've been thinking about several. Um, I was thinking about teachers, but I think for me in my educational um, career, I think about other like principals and leaders that I've had. And so I think about Miss Oliver, who was my first principal at Somerset, who um, basically hired me, got me a position, but also was very like business-oriented and always focused on kids. Um, and my the other principal that I still sticks with me today uh, is Angela Dominguez, who's now a superintendent. But I always think about her because she 
every decision she made was what's best for kids. So like it was, I don't care if it's harder for the adults, what's better for kids, we need to figure it out. So, you know, if we had to rearrange schedules so that kids could get automotive and their inclusion class, well, we were gonna rearrange schedules so that they would get their inclusion and their automotive class. Um, and then I think um, I do have to give a shout out to uh, Debbie Torres, who is retiring in, in nine days now, wow. um, who, when I took on this role as director, we had already been in the department together, but she really has done a lot to teach me more about gifted and talented and always, I like to say, takes good care of me and reminds me of my strengths as well, even if I start to doubt myself. Um, and so I think those were some of the three that I can think of off the top of my head. I feel Great. like I had more in my... Um, in my head when I was practicing this. That's okay. We didn't know that, so it's okay. Okay. You know, it's, okay. The three's perfect. Uh, Debbie, also on the TAGT board, I believe. Were you? Did I make that up? She's she's a she is the TAGT award um, administrator of the year for wow. 2022. I got to nominate her for that, which was pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Appreciate that. We might have to have Debbie on down the road unless she retires and. Hangs up everything. Is like, I'm no. done with this. I think she's going to be stuff. busier in retirement, actually. Probably. That's awesome. She's in the room for all of our <laughs> friends who are listening to the podcast. All right, our fifth question, our final question. If you had to tell teachers to do one thing to develop student potential, what would it be? Um, so I, I think... I really go back to believing in students. So one of the things I loved about being a college advisor was it was so rewarding because so many times I got to be the person that helped kids believe in themselves that by just telling them that they could do something, they'd be like, me? You, you think I could go to college? And so I think it's how do you, teachers, to believe in students means to show them opportunities. So the more opportunities you can show them, the more you can emphasize like, oh, hey, you're good at this. Have you thought about this? Um, those those words are really powerful. And so I think as teachers support students is thinking about, again, showing them opportunities, showing them that there is endless opportunity out there, um, and also supporting them and showing like, I believe in you, I know you can do it, um, as a way of like high expectations, I think is some of the best ways to support students. You know, CCMR, joy, belief in kids, Dr. Sev, you've shared a lot today. Thank you so much. This is great. If people want to find out more about you, where do they go to do that? Website, social media, how do, how do people connect with you? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I am not very good at social media, but I'm uh -huh. sort of trying to get better. I do, I do have a Twitter uh, handle, at Sev Severance, um, but I'm not very active on it. Yeah. LinkedIn would love to connect with people. Well, we're glad to be able to connect with you to find out more about you and your work here. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Dr. Elizabeth Severance, Dr. Sev. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.